Welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Great to have you here, lovely, lovely people. Well, we didn't actually welcome one of our first-time guests today, but they're actually not really a guest. They're actually family. We want to welcome Marlo Hannah-Ribbons, who was born on the 14th of October. Got wonderful parents, Jordan and Larika. So it's her first time and won't be her last with us. We're not going to give her a coffee cup or a coffee card. That's probably not wise. But Larika, if you'd like one, that's fine. (laughs) Wonderful to have you here. And just to reiterate, next Sunday night at our Hepburn Heights campus, John Pierce, he's actually the Australian C3 director. He's amazing. And he's just moving in the power of God, the supernatural power of God incredibly at the moment. And I know for myself last year, he prayed for me when I was at um, national conference and a sciatica that I'd had for 19 years was healed. And so let me tell you, let that man pray for you, be there. If you've got any needs at all, come along. But he's just an amazing preacher and a wonderful, integrous man of God that I admire so much. And um, yeah, that's at 5 p.m. at our Hepburn Heights campus next week. So I've got a um, quote here, and it's going to be up any second now. Okay, it's from Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. So last week, Pastor Genevieve prayed about activating our gifts. She was talking about we can, we are called, we are appointed, and we are named And we are given these gifts and we were activating that. And so we're carrying on from that today. And I get excited preaching about this because this is actually my job description. As a pastor, my role is to equip the saints. That's you lot. Come on, saints. Who's a saint here? Yes, you all are. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So the great thing is I don't have to do all the ministry myself. I equip you to do it because we've all got our own gifts and talents and our all, ro- all our roles to play in the body of Christ. So that's my job description, to equip, activate and train and release you to do what God has put into you, what he designed and he purposed for you before you were even born. Does that blow your mind? It does me. I'm just like, that's incredible. And secondly, uh, I've got gifts as well and some of my strongest ones are actually that I love to see people discover their gifts. I love for them to identify them, to help them and to use them to be a really important part of the body of Christ. So Jesus isn't here now. He said, I need to go, but it's to your advantage that I do because he left the Holy Spirit, the divine encourager to be with you. And he helps us to be the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth in this time, to practically do what Jesus would do if he was here. We have that role. And John Wesley, he said, serve others with your spiritual gifts. And he says here, one of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbour which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. So when we are serving others, it's as if we were serving Jesus. So powerful. And so this is carrying on from the four cups that we were looking at in Exodus 6. Have you got that scripture there? Exodus 6. 
That's it. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So we had a look at the four cups which were celebrated at communion, at Passover every time. And they took one cup at communion, celebrating the first one, the cup of salvation. And so today we're looking, we've talked about those in the last few months and just having a look at the third one now. So we see in Exodus 6, God not only rescued his people from bondage in Egypt, he also freed them from a slavery mindset. You know, the four million people that Moses led out of captivity had all grown up for years and years as slaves. They knew nothing about how to live as free men and women, how to take care of themselves, how to enjoy life without an overseer over them or working until they dropped with someone whipping them. But God promised to free them from the mindset of enslavement. And God promised to redeem his people with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. So he reaches down to us while we're enslaved and performs miracles that restore our worth and human dignity. God created us in his own divine image and he wants that image to be reflected without obstruction or without corruption. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 8, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. This is us, people. People who have been slaves, subjected to abuse, mistreatment and confinement, often don't know how to function as they were originally intended. So when we find ourselves captive to our own sinful and selfish behaviour, we lose sight of our purpose. But God has promised to redeem us, to reach down into that muddy pit where we've been and stumbled and fallen, and he lifts us up again, just as he did with the people of Israel when he brought them out of that captivity in Egypt. So this third cup of redemption, redeem, what does that mean? Redeem simply means to buy back or to cash in the value of something in order to receive something else. It also means to win back, to free someone or something from what distresses or harms them, to liberate them from captivity by paying a ransom, to reform, to restore. So when God redeems us, he pays for our debt or our sin through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There was that exchange in return. And in return, we experience the freedom to do what he has created us to do. And our redemption is the essence of discipleship. God has created us all to be students of Christ's learning and to be growing more like the Father God through his Son. But discipleship is not just learning more stuff. It's about discovering the reason why we are created and then living it out. So the goal of life isn't to learn. Learning is important and lifelong, but the goal is to apply what you've learned and God wants you to do what you were created for. So with these four cups, to know God, find freedom, discover purpose so you can make a difference. So I encounter so many people who don't know where they're going or where they want to end up where they want to go. And I suspect there's many people that are frustrated and discontent with their lives because they're not living out that specific, unique purpose that God has given them. You know, we know there needs to be more in life. We want to be experiencing more, but we don't know how to access it. 
And such frustration, it reminds me of a story that I heard about um, a greyhound race track where all those you know, big dogs were lined up ready to chase the rabbit in the race. And just as the race started, the bunny bot, the robot, blew up. And they said, go. And the dogs had no idea what they were doing. So <laughs> in this particular race, one of them sat down and just rested. Another, another became so confused it dashed through the fence and hurt itself. Several dogs just howled and barked at all the people in the crowd, at the spectators in the stand, and not one of those dogs, not one single one, actually finished the race because they, there was nothing to chase. And it's a vivid way that many people live. When there's nothing to chase, they struggle to find meaning in their lives. They sit down and get stuck where they are. Or they take various escape routes only to hurt themselves. Or they howl or tweet at others or they eventually give up the race. And it's not just having a rabbit to chase. The key to significant life is making sure you're chasing or pursuing something bigger than yourselves, what's right in front of you. So many people want to achieve goals and amass wealth only to end up disappointment and disillusion with their success. Others think that finding the right spouse or starting a family or serving in ministry will fulfill them only to experience exhaustion instead of exhilaration. They catch their rabbits only to be disappointed. So each person wonders about their purpose at different points in their life. And regrettably, some people never discover the direction that draws out all their gifts and talents and abilities and passions. And they flounder from place to place, relationship to relationship, job to job, always knowing there has to be more, but not knowing how to tap into it. And that's why it's so important to know why you're chasing what you're chasing. You need a clear focus on what matters most to fuel your motivations. You need a sense of purpose bigger than just money, a nicer house or recognition of others. So as we explore this third section on spiritual growth, discover purpose, my prayer for you is the same as Paul prayed for his believers in Ephesians 1.18 to know the hope of your calling. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So don't miss the way that hope and calling are connected. Basically, you'll never have hope for a better, richer, fulfilled life until you know what God has called you to in your life. Nothing else will satisfy you or utilize all that he's placed in you in the same way. And once you know your sacred purpose, you experience hope more fully. Seeing someone living out their purpose and call and passion is incredibly inspiring. We all want that sense of significance found in achieving something bigger than just monetary or material success. Because we're eternal spiritual beings and we yearn to create an external spiritual legacy. You know, we see this yearning played out in Paul's life. His whole life was wrapped around his purpose. He wrote in Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only my aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. So knowing your purpose is second only to knowing Christ as your saviour. When you know what you're made for, you can take your eyes off yourself and focus on serving others as God has wired you to do. In other words, your problems seem smaller when your purpose is higher, is bigger. And Paul explained how purpose provides a wellspring of hope and joy in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Now Paul had many troubles in life and I wouldn't have called them light momentary troubles myself but <laughs> but you know he went through things like Violent mobs attacking him, stone, trouble with the Jewish leaders and the Roman government, shipwrecks, jail time, just to name a few. But they didn't have the same effect on him that they may have had on others. Why was that? Because Paul was focused, I wasn't focused on them, he had something bigger. He was focused on his God-given purpose. I'm convinced that the secret to solving our problems isn't to solve them. Because even if we solve one problem, then another one just comes and takes its place. (laughs) The real secret is solving problems. To solve problems is to have something bigger in your life, something greater, something more meaningful than your earthly problems. And you're welcome to keep trying to solve your problems your way, but the best solution, the real solution is found in God's way. And Satan loves to use our everyday problems to create distractions and diversions in our lives. He doesn't want us drinking from the cup of redemption to hinder us and prevent us from travelling down God's redemptive road. He will try to make us spiritually nearsighted. He doesn't want us to see the big picture. He doesn't want us to see the timeless plan that God has for us. Instead, the devil wants to keep us focused on ourselves, on our issues, our own comfort and convenience. He lies to us. He says, you're not gifted You've got nothing to contribute. You have no purpose. You're not valued. But God keeps reaching down and pulling us up. You know, and non-believers as well as those who've committed to following Christ experience this aimlessness. In fact, they think that nine out of ten people who know God do not actually know their God-given purpose. And this gap in the church is even more striking when we realise that God not only wants us to know our own individual purpose but he wants us to help others to know their purpose. Ephesians 4, 7, 11 and 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. They're big, full words, aren't they? Big phrases. And in the first sentence, the word grace means a special gift, a divine enablement. It's not the reference to grace as we often think of it with God's mercy and his salvation. It refers to something else to do with bringing fulfillment and making a difference in the lives of those around you. And we see a reference to this same kind of grace in Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, in Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So our enemy, however, tries to confuse our identities. The last thing he wants is for us to operate out of our God-given purpose at full throttle. <laughs> a major part of his plan revolves around preventing us from knowing and living out our purpose. No matter how he tries, though, the devil cannot keep us from using the gifts that God has placed within us. We simply have to unlock them and actualise them through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not doing it on our own. 
We're told in Psalm 139, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Amazing. If you look closely at how God has made you, you'll discover what your life is all about. It's already there inside you. And your design will reveal your destiny. Because Ephesians 2.10, God's, your work, your God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the word that's translated um, workmanship here is poema, which we get our words poem and poetry from. We are the poem that God knew he wanted to write by creating us. As God redeems, we become his word made flesh, transformed to be more and more like Jesus. So because you're his workmanship, you were designed for a purpose, you can trust that God deliberately made you the way he, you are. He didn't create you and think, mm, now what am I going to do with this one? What are we, oh, got to think something up for them to do. God did not breathe life into you and then decide for your purpose. He deliberately, he, you can trust him, he deliberately made you the way that you are. He had something in mind for you to do and then he created you to do it. He saw a need, a hole, a vacancy in the world and designed you in order to fill it. Wow. And we see this in the parable of um, the talents in Matthew 25. The three servants were not all given the same number of talents. One received five, the next got two and the third only got one. But they all had the same opportunity to use their talents wisely and profitably on behalf of their master. The only difference was the one, the, the, the servant with the only one talent allowed his fear to produce failure. He saw his master as hard, unreasonable, overbearing judge instead of a kind father. So if you live by fear, you will bury your talent. Instead, you must bury your fear and invest your talent. Once your fears, pains and limitations are confessed and healed, we shared on that in the second cup, deliverance and freedom, then it's time to explore your personality, your gifts, passions and dreams. And within the, within the treasure chest of your divine design, you will discover your destiny. And true happiness is found in that purpose. So before time, God knew something he wanted each of us to do. Then he designed us specifically for the purpose. And your divine design illuminates the destiny God is, has in you. If you discover the way you've been made, it'll point to what God wants to do with your life. Design reveals destiny. So how do you discover your design? What motivates you to get up in the morning? Do you know why you do what you do? How often do you feel like you were made for more? The good news is God has a unique and distinct purpose for your life. And he's designed you specifically for that calling he has on your life. And our loving creator invites each of us to experience the joyous adventure of fulfilling the potential that he's placed inside us. You already have what it takes. You just have to unlock it. So we as a church, we want to help you to utilise many of the different tests and assessments and indicators and personality systems to help you discover your God-given design. Often the various tests and instruments need to be taken at different points in your life to reflect a clear pattern of your strengths, talents and gifts and abilities. So a few practical ones to have a look at. The DISC profile of assessing personality is often good. 
um, that's a good basic place to start. It's loosely based on the temperaments um, and reveals patterns of behaviour tied to your personality. So here's a, just a quick brief overview of them. It's a DISC, D-I-S-C, D-I-S-C. The choleric, um, dominance and directness, task-oriented, decisive, organised, outgoing and outspoken. Uh, I is the sanguine, influence and interest in people. They're witty, easygoing, outgoing, people-oriented. S is a phlegmatic, there's steadiness and stability. They're analytical, people-oriented, introverted. And C is a melancholy. They like compliance, competence, they're task-oriented, goal-oriented, introverted. They love a good list and they love ticking those things off the list. Hallelujah, feels so good when you do that. <laughs> All the melancholy like, yeah. <sighs> good old... Do you know what? When you write a list on the phone and you delete it when you do it, it's just not the same as just scribbling that out with a pen, is it? Just, just not as satisfying. So, you might, I've got a bit of melancholy. I know I'm very choleric, but there is that little bit there. <laughs> um, you might have taken a DISC test in the past, or my favourite is the Maya Briggs one, and it's 16 categories, and when I read my category, I'm like, oh my goodness, I think this person just did that about me. And what I also love about it is it goes into how you work in relationships, areas that you need to work on and um, how you are best in the workplace. And it's incredible. It's all very psychologically done. Like, it's, it's not just made up. And it's, it's very accurate. And the great thing is to get an understanding of yourself and understand the people around you. You can work with a lot more grace when we do that. There's also Enneagrams are really popular at the moment and Strength Finder Assessment. So I recommend using a variety of tools instead of just relying on one. And I would caution you against self-identifying or assuming you already know all there is to know about yourself. Take the tests, reflect on the results and discuss your thoughts with other believers that you trust. Sometimes we can't actually see the strengths and the gifts within ourselves because they're so natural and you just think, oh, isn't, like, Yolandi just has this amazing way of design and seeing things and you probably just think, well, doesn't everybody see that? And I'm like, no, I can't see that at all. Or someone's, like, really good at praying and, and, inter and seeing things and they're like, oh, yeah, doesn't everybody pray for a couple of hours a day? Like, isn't it just easy? It's like, no, not for some of us. So sometimes we see the gifts in other people like, man, you have an incredible hospitality gift. That is such a blessing. Oh, no, no, I just like having people. No, oh, that's a hospitality gift that God's given you. So talk to someone, maybe someone who's, you know, got discernment and a prophetic gift and word of knowledge and just see, talk to them about your results. These personality assessments are a helpful place to start as you seek a deeper understanding of the way you were made and the purpose to which your various traits might be pointing. Another primary area of self-discovery involves spiritual gifts. So we're looking at all these next week. Today is a bit like what do I want you to know and next week is what do I want you to do sort of thing. So your purpose can be found in one of the um, or more of the following areas. As I said, we're going to expand on this. So one um, way it's been described is what it, what's your shape? So S is your spiritual gifts. What are your hearts and passions? What's your abilities? What's your personality? And what are your experience that make you unique? And when you take time to figure out how God has shaped you, it gives you direction to where you should go with your life. When we become Christians and the Holy Spirit indwells in us, he brings a spiritual gifting that works in harmony with our personality, our experiences and abilities. 
spiritual gift is a special supernatural ability that God gives to each of his children so that together we can advance his purposes in the world. We each have different spiritual gifts that God has placed in us to fulfill our purpose and advance his kingdom. As Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. We need each other. Notice that in this passage, the words different and same are used three times. God wants to emphasize that each of us is unique and different to everyone else, but that we're all united in serving the same God. In Asia, they say, same, same, different, right? <laughs> I just thought of that when I was the verse, oh, same, same, different. Even in the exact same situation, People with different spiritual gifts will view the situation differently. So Rick Warren has a great way of illustrating these differences. He says to imagine that each spiritual gift is represented as a family member at the dinner table. If someone dropped their dessert on the floor, here's how each family member, each spiritual gift would respond. So when I read this out, which one do you relate most to? The mercy person says, oh, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anybody. Preaching gift. That's what happens when you're not careful. Serving, let me help you clean it up. Teaching, the reason it fell is because it was too heavy on one side. <laughs> Exhortation, next time let's serve dessert with the meal. Giving, I'll be happy to buy you a new dessert. At administration, Jim, would you get the mop? Sue, pick it up. Mary, help me fix another dessert. <laughs> Can anyone identify where they are in that one? And I saw some of you nudging your spouse during that. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I'm the admin person. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read that. I was just cracked up. I think Lee was around. I'm like, Lee, listen to this. This is hilarious. <laughs> so there, again, we're looking at these in details next week. Not about desserts, but just about the gifts. Yeah. Oh, you can bring dessert if you like later and we can put it all into practice. That's fine. <laughs> guys are funny what you get excited about. <laughs> There are certainly more spiritual gifts than these, but you get the point. We each naturally focus on different areas of service that come naturally to us. James 1.17 says, Every gift is good because it comes from God. So one is not better than another. You know, our different personalities, traits, temperaments or spiritual gifts are not to be measured or compared with one another, as if some was worth more or value than others. There's no room for inferiority or envy in the body of Christ. Psalm 139.14, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. So whatever your personality type, you are still to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Personality types and spiritual gifts don't give us an excuse to be unloving, unkind, unfairly critical or judgmental. Although you cannot change your personality or spiritual gifts, you can redeem them through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the one source of them all. When you struggle with knowing your purpose or feel challenged in pursuing, keep in mind how the redemptive power of God um, redeemed the nation of Israel. Can I have the use those up? Thanks. The first step towards discovering our purpose is partaking in that first cup that we talked about briefly of salvation, acknowledging that God created you for a purpose 
And that main purpose is activated as you surrender your life to the one who designed you, firstly, for relationship with him. And then from that to live out your purpose for his kingdom, for his will to be done. And he even sent his own son Jesus to earth so that this could happen. Let's all stand. Before Jesus came to earth as son of God and son of man, there were great distinctions in how people were treated. There were no room to be who you were created for most of the population. Discriminated according to gender, race, socioeconomic status, education, which was limited to the elite few anyway. But Jesus changed all that. Galatians 3, 28, 29. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. It's so good. High price for us to be who we were created to be for freedom, for a chance to live that life to the full. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal and free to be who, uniquely who he created us to be. So when we come to Jesus and we acknowledge that he died on the cross for us, ask forgiveness for our sin and ask him to be Lord and Saviour of our lives, we are activated to be everything that he has created us to be. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.